This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Jack Cacciarola. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I start off by hitting the headlines, talking about Facebook's crash and the Biden agenda's movement through Congress. After that, we move into a spectacular interview with Lincoln Project co-founder Rick Wilson. Finally, we finish up with everyone's favorite segment, Tweets of the Week. Aaron, you ready for this week's episode? Jack, this is going to be a great one. Yeah, it is. So let's zoom in. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Let's do it, Jack. So on Monday, we saw a couple platforms, those being Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, kind of crashed, kind of go down the toilet a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook wouldn't load. You couldn't get on Instagram. Nothing was refreshing. Um, and for a minute there, it was, it was pretty glorious. It lasted a couple hours. Um, no one was on Facebook. There was no vaccine misinformation being spread. If you had a cold and you were looking at what livestock medicine to take, you could not find any any research um, mm-hmm. there. Uh, so, Aaron, what were your takeaways from the Facebook crash on Monday and the, and the results that came? Well, I mean, I think it's really now a time for Congress and um, these regulators to really look at Facebook and these other big social media conglomerates and see what their actual purpose is. I mean, obviously, I'm not for government, regu- super government regulation of speech and of these big companies. But at the same time, we had a whistleblower come out mere hours before Facebook shut down to talk about the harmful practices that the company um, engages in. So I think we really need to take a closer look on what is Facebook's purpose. And if it's out here is to spread all of this misinformation for both the right and the left, um, especially on um, public health issues like vaccines, maybe it's time to regulate it a little bit to kind of see what speech is harmful, what speech should be regulated um, and go from there. But I think we would waste an opportunity if Congress doesn't do anything now. We just hold hearings and just do this for public um, consumption. Um, We're going to miss a a key opportunity here because it really showed that, um, that a like, our, our data is kind of just out there for the world um, because I think there was a news report also that 1.5 billion user data um, was spread all over the world because of, wow. um, because of the breach or whatever. Um, but at the B that, um, that Facebook shutdown probably saved thousands of lives. Maybe because, saves again. Because in that six hour period or whatever, the vaccine misinformation, the public health misinformation wasn't online um, on the website where people get their most consumption. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, 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 it's time for Congress to act. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And, you know, there have been some hearings, as you said, lately and, a, and a, a while back, President Biden made it pretty clear that the misinformation that was being spread on Facebook was quite literally killing people. And yep. still is. Americans are being harmed by misinformation every single day. Um, <clears throat> it's why we can't come together and coalesce behind defeating COVID once and for all. Um, 
And I, I think I saw a lot of people saying yesterday that, you know, uh, uh, slowing down Facebook, not mm-hmm. having Facebook up in the six hours, it must have been like, you know, a little a little boost for democracy, um, for, for misinformation to kind of be halted for a minute there. Um, and, I, and I completely agree that we need to see some changes in the way these companies conduct their business if it's severely harming not only democracy, but just general information in, in American everyday life. Exactly. Um, and and as, as young people, some of those reports that came out um, about, you know, body image issues that come from Instagram and, and young people comparing themselves to others and these kind of wormholes that people go down that the Instagram algorithm feeds into. Now, I, I'm no expert, but I can understand that it, it's difficult for young people to feel that they're constantly being compared to others um, and having to grow up in this, you know, this difficult world that we're in right now. And then go to Instagram and, and have that negatively affect their mental health as well. So there needs to be changes For sure. um, if these companies are, are being have such negative effects in, in, every, in the everyday lives of Americans. Um, and yes. I think it's, it's pretty clear that that needs to happen because when your company has a failure and everyone unanimously applauds that failure, I think people don't like you that much, right? Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg lost what seven billion, eight and a half billion dollars. Finally paying Monday. his taxes, Jack. Finally paying his taxes, and everyone was so excited. Now, like, what does that say about you? If right. everyone is excited to see you fail, it it means that there it might be a time for a little bit of change um, to what you're doing. Uh, and, and speaking of uh, <clears throat> change, as we look to the more distant future, um, Aaron, there was some news a couple days ago that a pack uh, just announced, just launched. Um, it's a primary cinema pack, a new pack backed by a network of deep pocket donors has begun laying the groundwork for a primary challenge to Kirsten Cinema in 2024. Now, these are reports by uh, NBC News. How do you feel about not only the potential primary challenge of cinema and that uh, the political effect that that's going to have on her, but spending our resources in Arizona now, keep in mm-hmm. mind, Mark Kelly is up for re-election in 2022. So spending our, our resources in Arizona on primarying cinema in 2024 rather than helping Mark Kelly in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mistake. Um, I think that we have, uh, folks think that Mark Kelly is the, uh, running in the safe seat. It's not true. I mean, before Mark Kelly and, K- and Kirsten Cinema, Arizona didn't have a Democratic senator in ages. Um, Arizona was traditionally a Republican state, and in a lot of ways, it still is a Republican state outside of Donald Trump. I mean, this is a state that elected John McCain to the Senate for decades. It's a state that still has a Republican governor um, who I think might be running for Senate. I don't know. Um, But who is, I mean, the Republicans are getting good candidates to run against Mark Kelly and to run against Kirsten Sinema. So I think right now, we need an all-hands-on-deck approach to keep Arizona. We lose Arizona, we lose the Senate. So Arizona is not as safe as people think. Um, and the money that is going to this, um, whatever these packs to primary Kirsten Cinema, that's fine and all. And if you want to do that, go ahead. But that's in 2024. That's in uh, three years, over an election cycle away. And you can build the infrastructure in these packs, and these groups can do that to primary Kirsten Cinema. But a more progressive is not going to a more progressive Democrat, in my opinion is not going to win in Arizona. Not, not the way Arizona is made up right now. Because Mark Kelly, although is a little more progressive, he is, not, he is generally aligned with Kirsten Cinema on 95% of the issues. There are just a few issues that they don't align, align with each other. So unless we're going to get another Mark Kelly, which I don't see happening, 
you're not going to win Arizona with a super progressive Democrat, unfortunately. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, I think some of this political pressure that's being put on cinema is, is good because I think the way that she's behaving makes it more difficult for Mark Kelly to win. Right. And so I think putting pressure on her to act differently in the Senate um, would be beneficial to Mark Kelly because as she moves, I don't want to say more towards the right, but poses herself more as a moderate, it kind of makes Mark Kelly look more like a progressive, right? And maybe that's not what the people of Arizona necessarily want. And you're also seeing just a little bit of fatigue, maybe from Democrats in Arizona saying, oh, my God, Kirsten Cinema, like, I don't want to get out and vote. Like, is this really what I right. like my state, what is representing my state? And that's going to hurt Mark Kelly. Like, she is bringing him down. And he. Well, it's also going to hurt Joe Biden in 2024. It's also going to hurt Joe Biden in 2024. And, 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 I'll say, and I'll say this listen, I don't agree with what Kirsten Sinema is doing. I think she needs to get on board and pass this bill um, and vote for this bill. That her constituents support, Correct. of course. And I think it's really hurting her political future. With that being said, invest your money in Mark Kelly, invest your money in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina states. New Hampshire states where Democrats either have to, for sure. right, where either we have to keep an incumbent in office or we have to defeat a GOP incumbent. That's more pressing right now. And unlike the GOP, the Democrats don't have this money making machine um, around the country. So all of these dollars really matter. So when you think about donating $100 or $50 to this primary effort of cinema, think about just diverting maybe even half of those funds to Mark Kelly's campaign right now. Give him the funds, support him. And then if you want to primary her, go on a full frontal attack on her um, once Mark Kelly is reelected and once we have the Senate. Because I and, guarantee- and, and continue to put the political pressure on her exactly. as well. Call keep, her office. Keep calling keep, her office. Tweet keep, at her. Talk to your friends. Like, it, just do those things. I, I completely correct. agree that it, it is probably a waste of resources and right you know, now. If you but it, put, it's, not, yeah. it's not a waste to continue to put political pressure on her. Completely correct. agree. If you want to put political pressure on her, do it. Call her, even call her donors. Um, and yeah. go out to these big corporations that, that support Kirsten Cinema right now and tell them that you don't support what she's doing. Um, make them t- pull money out of her campaign. That, that's, that's when you'll have a big impact. Um, so do, do that. But at the same time, invest in Mark Kelly, invest in the Senate. Um, in 2022, because that's so much more important. Yeah. And as young people, I think that's a lot of where we can come in in terms of putting that political pressure on to show that, you know, you need our coalition to get behind you, especially in 2024. Yep. So you need to start adapting and not not even adapting. You need to change to be where you should be, where probably you were before Kirsten Cinema. I, I, I think this video was circulating of, of Senator Cinema a couple of years ago at a town hall. And I it was unrecognizable. The person that I saw in that town hall, opposed yep. to the person that I see um, today, we need her to get back to where she was um, and start supporting these democratic policies that, that you know, the broad, broadly um, Americans want. And young people can put that pressure on her. Uh, and again, Aaron said that point, let's reiterate it. If you are making a donation, make sure that is going to someone like a Mark Kelly in Arizona, a Maggie Hassan um, in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. my state, um, or Maybe send it to Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina. There are so many great seats that we can win. Yep. Let's focus on those seats in 2022, not Kirsten Cinema in 2024. Um, the political pressure is great, but let's win. Let's expand this yep. majority right now. Yep. Um, and-, and with that, you know, we've hit the headlines and let's go to an incredible interview with Rick Wilson. Let's do it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Aaron, is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Now, now that I think about it, definitely Joe Manchin. <laughs> yeah, definitely Joe Manchin. I'd say 100%. <laughs> well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And Jack, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in, a, in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Yeah. So visit betterhelp.com slash zoomed in. That's betterhelp, help spelled H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And you know, today we have actually a special offer for all of our listeners. Get 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com backslash zoomed in. That's betterhelp.com backslash zoomed in. So go ahead and check out that offer now and start your experience with BetterHelp. You know him as the co-founder of the Lincoln Project, someone who lives rent-free in Donald Trump's head and one of the most brilliant political minds out there. This week, we could not be more excited to welcome my former boss, Rick Wilson, to Zoomed In. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Hey, Jack, I'm happy to be with you, man. Absolutely a pleasure. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Rick, you began your political career late in the 80s, campaigning for Connie Mack here in Florida, and late, yep, later then, George H.W.'s um, field director at the time. And yep. then Democrats played really well in Florida. We elected Democratic governor, had a Democratic majority legislature. How do you see Democrats getting back to that? Because we've really fallen from that tree. You know, it's funny because there was a brief glimmer of hope when my buddy Steve Schmidt uh, did the Obama campaign in 2008, and they really got on the ground. They did the organizing they had to do. They did the voter reg they had to do. They got the work done. Um, sadly, the Democratic Party of Florida is a victim of a long-running program that a bunch of guys like me, actually, I was a very young, part, a young as a young guy, I was a part of it called Sledgehammer. And that program was meant to break the Democratic Party of Florida by eliminating their ability to raise money, by breaking their farm team of candidates over time, by making it harder and harder for them to win big offices. And it worked. But the, the thing about it is the Democratic Party of Florida has a lot of strength in Broward, Dade and Palm Beach County. Those three counties are also really, really much further to the left than the rest of the state, even the democratic areas of the state. So one of the ways on, what I, on the path back for Democrats is to run candidates who are appropriate for the region and district and area that they're in. And that may mean in North Florida, you get some quite conservative Democrats. There used to be a lot of conservative Democrats in North Florida. Mm -hmm. The Republicans said to them, well, you can be with us and, 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 and cash in, or you can be with those guys in South Florida who hate you. Most of them took the deal, but there are still conservative Democrats across North Florida, across the north of the I-4 corridor, essentially. Okay. Um, even the most activist Democratic voters are center-left voters. They're not, they're not AOC voters. They're not strong progressive voters. Um, that's that's the, the trick I think the Democrats have missed. They've got to build a statewide coalition inside their own party and not just against the Republicans. They've got to build up the capacity 
to to not have the power structure in the party in South Florida veto a moderate Democrat who might want to run in, say, Jacksonville mm-hmm. or in Seminole County. Right. So it's a matter of a lot of it. Say they misread um, the voters in Florida on, a, on on some big issues. I mean, look. Female African-American voters over the age of 50 are significantly more pro-life than Democrats want to admit to themselves. 38 percent of the people in the state of Florida with a concealed carry permit for a gun are Democrats. It's not it's it's a weird state. Mm -hmm. It's a weird state. And Republicans have some contrary problems like there are an awful lot of pro-choice Republicans in Palm Beach County. So they shut up about the issue when they're down there. Mm -hmm. Democrats could learn that lesson of the flexibility to give candidates because it's, you know, it's always a question you want to win it or you want to lose it of every seat. Mm-hmm. Some seats are easy. Some seats you can afford to be whoever you want to be in terms of your ideology. Some seats you have to squeeze a little bit and work a little harder. And I'll give you an example. That's not a Florida example. Um, I elected a Republican governor in Vermont four times, a Republican governor in Vermont, Wow. Process that. Yeah. He was a squish. He's pro climate change, you know, to addressing climate change. He never said the word abortion. He was a moderate on health care, all these things. And a lot of my Republican friends are like, why can't you find a real conservative there? I'm like, bitch, it's Vermont. So do you want a Republican or do you want another another Howard Dean or another Bernie Sanders type? Because there, there's there's a thousand of them there who are super hard progressives and can easily win. Or we can have a guy who isn't, you know, perfect. And that's the same case today. You've got, you know, Larry Hogan in Maryland. You've got Charlie Baker in Massachusetts. You've got Phil Scott now in in Vermont. These guys are not purist Republicans. They're not pure Trumpers. In fact, they're opposed to it. Democrats might look at that as a lesson on how to pick the lock that Republicans seem to have in a lot of places like Florida. Mm-hmm. And, and moving away just from Florida and, and talking more about another you know, idea or a lesson that Democrats need to learn, talking about the 2022 midterms. Now, you yeah. have been explicit in saying that Democrats need to move away from the idea that we're going to win by talking about roads and bridges and climate and that we need right. to say, hey, look at Lauren Boebert. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look at these yes. batshit crazy representatives of the GOP. Make them own the crazy. There you go. These people I mean, you saw this. You, you saw we did this all the time in the in the, in LP. Mm-hmm. We'd make Republicans. We'd run those ads with like the fat guy with the AR-15 in one hand, the Confederate flag in the other, and we'd yeah. run them in suburban, wealthy neighborhoods where all these Republicans are. And it poses a choice mentally. We you ask them, are you with that guy, or can you hold your breath and vote for Joe Biden? Mm-hmm. Turns out they can hold their breath and vote for Joe Biden. There are plenty of people in the Republican Party today who are perfect contrast pieces for Democratic candidates. You want to be Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Jim Jordan or, or any of the rest of the mutant parade of, you know, Madison Cawthorn and all these other little, like, these are people who are vastly outside the American mainstream. The Republicans often win by waging a culture war, by luring the Democrats in to do a culture war. Mm-hmm. They lure them into this, this culture war trap. So we end up having debates about critical race theory or Antifa or immigration or abortion. Mm-hmm. 
the Republicans have handed the Democrats this beautiful set of tools to run their own inverse culture war. And I know this is a really clumsy phrase, but like all advertising is what we call aspirational branding. When you see somebody in an ad enjoying their product, their Apple phone or their whatever, they're a cool looking person. They are, they, that's the life you want to have. That's the thing you want to be, you know, and it's like why every commercial for, for, for any kind of medication, you know, it's like the, 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 the handsome 70 year old man with the, with the trim <laughs> beard, and, you know, he's on the Viagra commercial, but that's not really the target demo. Of it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, 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 so we, we've got a sort of what we call negative aspirational branding. It's a shit phrase. It's a terrible way to put it. But we want to make people own that if you support the Trumpist candidate, if you support, you know, the Boberts and the Greens and the Herschel Walkers and the crazies, that's you. That's your lifestyle. Now. That's who you are. That's how you define yourself, brand yourself, et cetera. So you talk about, I mean, the branding. Um, how do you see young people engaging in the branding of the party, um, especially when oftentimes you have older folks and these consultants, these career consultants who have been doing this for decades and they don't want to change the status quo, but young people do. How, how, how do young people kind of get in that lane? Well, let me tell you, I started in this business when I was 22 and a half years old. And God knows that somehow I got trapped in it and never fucking left. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I will tell you, it is a, it is an enterprise for people who are willing to put themselves out there who are willing to be aggressive about pursuing things that work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the mid phase of my career, I became known as a guy who made very, very, very strong negative ads. Not everybody wanted to do that. Not everybody wanted to use that. Even on my side, we're good with negative ads generally in Republican circles, right? They didn't want to, they, they're like, Oh God, it's embarrassing. We have to do this horrible thing. Well, I just didn't fucking care. So I pursued that. That was my niche. That was something I got really good at delivering results through those kind of ads. Young activists, whether you're in the digital space or the physical space for door knocking and organizing and, and, and community level stuff, find an area you're good at that makes you happy. Work the shit out of it. Mm. Once you're really good at it, master it even further. Once you think you've mastered it, go back to school, start over, tear it all down and figure it out again. And you will become incredibly valuable to any campaign or organization that's trying to, to, to do political change or political activism by, by having a skill set. A lot of people start out and they're, you know, I, I did, I interviewed this kid a couple of years ago, 23 years old, very, very smart kid. I'm like, so what do you want to do? And actually, this is just before Trump. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, well, I want to be the campaign strategist. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You're not the campaign strategist. The old grizzly people do that shit. You've got to do some things first. Mm -hmm. And I do tell people, young people all the time, make your bones, go in a campaign and do the shit work for a cycle, put out yard signs, drive the candidate around. I learned more about, you know, politics in a way by being an advanced guy for Connie Mack, driving him around the state mm. um, for, for, for the, the, the first part of that, the, of his campaign. Than I did for him a lot of other things. You interact with people, you deal with people, and and look, all campaigns are a reputational um, organization. They, you know, people. Some people get shit done, some people don't. Some people are there to socialize, some people are there to get the work done. And 
you know, that doesn't mean you're unfriendly to people, but I, if you're in a campaign and you're new and you're young, bust your ass. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't like mark time. Don't think, Oh, I'm going to take spring break or a 10 day vacation during the middle of the campaign. Do the work. It's hard and it sucks, but it's, it's the only way to do it. Um, and I do think in terms of in this space right now that we're in, where the Republican party is so racing so far out to an edge that isn't, it isn't even conservative. It's authoritarian, right? You know, it's not a conservative principle, call me crazy, to set up a system where people snitch on women trying to get an abortion and get paid for it. Yeah. That's not conservative. That's the fucking Stasi in East Germany. It's yeah. insanity. So the Republicans are giving younger activists a lot of opportunities to, again, put young people in that cultural frame. Are you really with that crazy, you know, the anti-vax lady screaming at the camera? Yeah. Are you really with the Karens at the, at the school board meetings? Are you really with the with the Oath Keeper boogaloo assholes who beating up cops? Right. You know, there's a chance that the Democrats, if they're wise about it, can help build a political culture of younger voters, not just an ideological framework for younger voters. And right now, that's a strength that Trump people have. They built a political culture inside their community that isn't ideological. It's cultural. It's like, it's like an extended family for them. And so I think that's one thing that younger activists should sort of focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I've said it before, like, don't, don't be afraid to go that far in the branding. Don't be afraid to try to, to link these things or to really call out the bullshit and make it explicit. Absolutely. Really connect it. Make sure that people know. And, and, and the way that you call out these Republicans, that the, the shit is crazy. It's nuts. So it's okay to frame it that way. It's not bad. It's Absolutely. Yeah. Duh, yeah. Look, there is a thing in politics. I tweeted about this the last, last week about the, the 1-6 commission. There's a thing in politics. It's a problem I call my honorable friend. Okay. When these guys are on the floor of the House and the Senate, they can go up against their most vicious opponent. And they'll say, my honorable friend from the great state of Oklahoma, what they mean is, go fuck yourself. I hope you die in a fucking fire. But Washington has this fake culture of civility. And they pretend that we're still in an era where there were, where the guy, where the Republican and the Democrat went out and had a beer after work. You can't go out and have a beer after work with, a pe with people who want to um, literally burn down our government. Right. Yeah. Who are and willing who tried to, to kill you. our capital. You can't, you can't, you can't have an accommodation with people like that. And they, they're, they're desperately questing for the good Republican. They're desperately questing for the people that, that are going to somehow get this under control. There is no one who will get this under control. Yeah. McConnell, who is, love Mitch McConnell or hate Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is a political genius. Yep. He is the greatest Senate leader since LBJ. He knows how to handle his caucus, to maneuver, to manipulate, to get them to do what he wants to win. That's all he cares about. Even Mitch McConnell can't control them. Even Mitch McConnell is barely keeping that shit together because people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Rick Scott and Tommy Tuberville and, and all, again, what I call the mutant parade, these people would have been just fine if the guys who stormed the Capitol had managed to upend the election by killing mm -hmm. somebody. They would have been fine with it. They would have said, oh, well, I guess you shouldn't have fucked with Trump. See what you get? 
and that is and that is even people that we thought years ago were moral Republicans, like you know Rob Portman and Roy Blunt and and even Marco Rubio, you know, who used to be a counterpoint to Trump and is now a punchline to Trump. Yeah, you know, the moral collapse of these people ranges from the terrified, which is what Marco is. He's terrified of Trump. He's he he, he pisses himself when someone says that. If you come up behind Marco, and go Trump. He'll, he'll, he'll lose it, right? <laughs> but some of these people are just raw opportunists. Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz, those people are opportunistic and they are entrepreneurial in the degree to which they will exploit the Trump phenomenon for their own political ends. And the problem with them, and Ron DeSantis is another example, Greg Abbott, these guys are an example of the opportunism and the awareness of how bad the Trumpist movement is and how dangerous it is to our democracy and the Republic. They don't just don't care. They're going to get what they're going to, they're going to get theirs before the world burns down. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's a lot of like negativity um, that our country is currently facing. And sure. In, in your opinion, I mean, is there a way that we can get back to the time when Tip O'Neill was speaker and these the Republicans and Democrats would get beers after work and it would only be fighting on the Senate floor or the House floor. I mean, how do we get back to that? You know, uh, there was a long period of time well before Trump where one of my best friends in Florida politics, a guy named Steve Shale, who ran Obama in 08, Florida, great guy, loved to death. And we were this weird, like bipartisan friendship. And people back then were like, that's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. You guys sit around on the porch and drink wine and shoot the shit. I'm like, yeah. Well, now you can't do that, and and it does. It runs in both directions. Okay, the the the, the Republicans don't want to be around anything outside their bubble, and the Democrats can't tolerate the fact that the Republicans want to burn down the whole world. Hmm. I get it. Um, what will happen is that if the opportunity cost of being a Trumpist reaches a certain level. If, if the cost of being a Trumpist means you lose office or that you lose seats or that it starts to cost the caucuses their numbers, then you will see the organic emergence of people in the center and the center right who are like, okay, I'm out, I'm done. Now, right now, look, you got Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzer who are the publicly facing, the two, two publicly facing people who are like, fucking I'm out, I'm done, I'm not doing this. I talk to a lot of Republicans still to this day. We all talk to a lot of different people. And our, our sort of rough head count is there are 30 to 40 Republicans in the House who are too chicken shit to stand up. Now, a lot of them are in safe Republican seats and they're more afraid of a primary mm-hmm. than they are of a general. So they keep quiet. So they don't say anything. The Democrats could help them along a lot by by smoothing the path a little bit. I think the one six hearings, it's a Pelosi was very smart about Kinzinger and Cheney being on that committee. It's very smart to do that. Um, but it is going to take, you know, it's going to take a lot of electoral loss. You have to basically fracture the current Republican party and the Democrats have to try to not kill off the center right movement. That could be a post Trump movement. Hmm. There'll be a temptation to try to kill it off to win everything. Um, but it would be tactically 
tactically expedient and strategically stupid. Yeah, and, and I've I've always said that the way to to beat it out of them is to beat them at the ballot box. Like the only yep. they have no incentive to work with us right now because they will continue Got to it. wage the same culture wars and continue mm-hmm. to win in their safe seats. So until we yep. make it, you know political poison to operate under this current iteration of the GOP. They will not change because they have no reason to morals mean nothing to them. Again, they're more afraid of a primary from the right. I mean, look, Ron DeSantis may be the most like popular governor among the sort of Trumpian right at the moment, Mm -hmm. but there was a long period where Ron DeSantis was sending signals out to people all over the Republican money world. I'm not like him. I'm not a I'm not a Trumper. I'm a, I'm a center right conservative. I'm a traditional conservative. I'm this and that. And they they unfortunately they're all in a wedge. They're all in a box, right? They're wedged in this corner where if they say that they're not a Trumper, he attacks them, and Fox attacks them, and the online social media horde attacks them, and they get a primary from mm-hmm. the right. If they say Donald's. Donald's farts smell like honeysuckles and summer breezes. <laughs> then, then they end up being boxed out of a lot of suburban voters and a lot of moderate voters and a lot of Republican voters who are not into that. So it's it's going to take a long time and a lot of political damage before you end up with you know the Tip O'Neill beer situation again. Well, hopefully we get there. Um, And Rick, thank you so much for zooming in with us, for coming on today. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely delighted to be with you guys. Jack's Jack's one of our star alumni. Anything for you guys, happy to help. We appreciate it so much, Rick. Thank you for zooming in. Have a great day, guys. See you you soon. You will indeed. Now it is time for everybody's favorite segment. That is Tweets of the Week. So let's hop right into it. Our first tweet comes from our good friends at Midas Touch. They say, vaccine mandates are making teachers who don't believe in science quit, nurses who don't believe in medicine resign, and police officers who don't believe in public safety retire. I call that a great side effect. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Our next tweet comes from Marcus Flowers, who is running for Congress against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. Marcus says, Facebook and Marjorie Taylor Greene have a lot in common. They're both not working today, and democracy would be better off without them. Truth. I, it was, yep. This is the truth. Marjorie Taylor Greene is practically never working. Um, and, you know, I guess Facebook is always working against us, so probably goes both <laughs> ways. Um, and our final tweet comes from Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, Jimmy says, Facebook is down, so asking this here, which livestock medicine should I take for a sinus <laughs> infection? <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> How many people do you think were googling that yesterday? Like oh. ivermectin, like does it work for this? Does it work for like a cough? Oh, Way too much. Do you think people were going to LinkedIn or uh, for or sure. MySpace for that for their for misinformation? Sure. For sure. <laughs> if you can't get it on Facebook, you got to go somewhere else. Oh man. Well, that was tweets of the week. Thank you so much. And that's our show. Thank you so much to all our listeners for joining us for another incredible episode. And thank you to Lincoln Project co-founder, my old boss, just one of the one of the best guys I know, Rick Wilson, for coming on. That was an incredible interview, wasn't it, Aaron? That was awesome. That was awesome. I love Rick. Yeah, that was great. That was so much fun. Um, and, and again, thank you to you, the listeners, for supporting us, uh, for being a part of the Zoomed In podcast. 
uh, our listeners, we grow every week. It's a bigger family every week. Um, we, we love having y'all tweet at us or um, just, you know, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. If it's a five-star review, I'd really, really love to see it. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you so much for your comments and, and for tuning in every Wednesday. Um, we really appreciate it. Y'all are what makes uh, you make the show happen. We could not do it without you. Uh, so thank you to you, the listeners. And if you want to leave us a review or tweet at us, Aaron, where can the people find you? On all of my socials at Aaron Parnas. What about you, Jack? You can find me at JD Cacciarella on Twitter. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. Thank you so much for listening and come Zoom in with us next Wednesday.